0: You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. I am humbled and nervous, to be, as I should be, to be sharing with you this morning. I'm thankful for all the, my students that I see in the audience and other friendly faces out there. I am excited to share what is on my heart today with you. Okay. So I'm going to begin. I am an alien. Alien as in an outsider, a freak, not from this place, stranger in a strange land. And this may be confusing because as a white person, a person of English and mixed, mutt-like European descent, in certain parts of America or in Europe, I may look like I belong. But I don't. I don't tick any or even some of the boxes that are laid out on the sheet of identity. I often feel like a weirdo, say the wrong thing, don't know how to small talk, don't know what it's really like to be from somewhere. Every box that I could tick seems wildly insufficient, and the only one really appropriate would say other. My inside lived experience, my alienness, doesn't necessarily match my outsides. And most people wouldn't guess, just based on looking at me, that my story is what it is. This is true for so many people. Last week was the Embrace Conference. And at one of the sessions, Etta Mawadri and Eliza Tan and the students who were featured in Now You See Me Too, an exhibition of portraits and interviews of ethnic minority students on this campus, shared their own experiences working on this incredible life-giving project. This project, and the interviews written by Etta, and Eliza, in my opinion, reminded me of some really essential facts about the kingdom of God. First, we have a beautiful and distinct story, one that is our own and one that is connected to our culture, our race, our families, our circumstances, our struggles, our experiences, our sense of nation, tribe, and tongue. We are not only one story. There is not only one story. Praise God. Second, that giving people safe space to tell their stories matters. I was so grateful to Etta and Eliza for this project, and I think it's an incredible gift to our campus. Listening to each other's stories matters. Etta shared during one of the talkback sessions that this project was born out of her own experience of feeling erased here at Asbury, of not being fully seen or known. I felt this way as a student at Asbury. No one really knew who I was. And when I'd say, I'm from Korea, and hope to share more about that, eyes would glaze over and disinterest would set in. Because they couldn't make sense of me. Oh, so your family was in the army. Oh, so your parents were missionaries. No, and no, they weren't interested in finding out more This project reminds us that not assuming things about people's stories based on their skin tone or their accent or their clothing or their names matters. I could often predict after someone asked me where I was from, which is a pretty standard question when you're getting to know people, and I said Korea, where the conversation would go. It would go something like this. Where are you from? Oh, I grew up in Korea. Oh, so you speak Korean, right? No, I don't speak Korean. I grew up in international school. We, you know, went to school in English, et cetera. At blaze. <laughs> yeah. Um, asking, instead of just saying, oh, what was that like? Or, Why you, I would love to hear more about that. Tell me about that. They just assumed. So asking and inviting the people around us into the sharing of their stories and the sharing of our stories in return is sacred and holy, Disregarding, ignoring, or silencing someone's story is evil. Anytime anyone shares their story with you, it's precious and it's a gift, and one that you should not take for granted. One of the last questions the panel facilitator asked during the session was why should those in the dominant culture care about the stories of ethnic minorities on this campus and in this country? My heart hurt with this question. Why should I care? Why? For the students up on that stage to have to articulate in response to that question, why should you care? Their responses were incredibly gracious and moving and made me think about how I would answer that question. Some of them said, because we're all human, because our stories matter, because Imago Dei, because we as Christians should love and love means care, because we're your neighbor, Because, because, because I wanted to stand up and yell, how can we not care? How can we not listen to each other? Care is a minimum. But I also want to stand up and say this, which is one reason why I'm saying it now, because I didn't stand up in the talk back session and say this, but I'm saying it now. I am white. I am a white woman. And for those of us who are recognized as belonging to the dominant culture, who are identified by, aligned with, and have benefited from our whiteness or proximity to whiteness. We need to care because the culture and race that holds power in this nation and people that looked like me in history, people that looked like us through history played and continue to play a role in constructing the racial hierarchies that have killed, hurt, and erased so many who are not white. And now I believe that I must care. We must care because we made this. People who looked like me made this. People who looked like me made racism and have fought for and defended white supremacy and I have benefited from it and now it is up to us to denounce it along with racism of any kind. It is time to pick up our tools to dismantle it alongside the thousands and thousands of our brothers and sisters that have already been doing this holy work. This is my burden to bear, my inheritance. Our invitation to reconciliation and healing starts with us confronting ourselves in our complicity and confronting ourselves with the truth. That is why we should care about these stories because frankly it is life and death, our life and death too. Daniel Berrigan writes, we will walk into the kingdom of God together or we won't walk in at all. Their stories matter, their experiences matter, we need to listen because they have been ignored by us for too long. I would highly encourage you to go to the Stoos and spend time with the portraits and the interviews written on the walls of the Student Center, hanging under the beautiful flags. Believe them, read them, and let them move you. Be reminded that just as your your story is yours, their story is theirs. It is precious and it is unique, and we need to listen. I love aliens. Here's why I am an alien. Most of my childhood, I lived in a small apartment in teacher's housing on the campus of Seoul Foreign School, an international school in Seoul, South Korea. And before you ask, no, I've already mentioned this, I don't speak Korean, at least not well. But I am wearing Hanbok today, so you're welcome. Okay. Um, my parents were not missionaries. They were and still are teachers in an international school. My parents are also both third culture kids, and I have no memories of America as a young child. I moved to South Korea when I was three, and I became a miguksada, Saram, a Waegugin, a foreigner. This is my primary identity, the identity I call home. Just like everybody's story, my story starts before I was born. My grandparents, Paul and Kay Rader, said yes to an opportunity to teach at the Salvation Army Training College in Seoul in the early aftermath of the Korean War. This picture is actually from a few years before they left Korea for good, after serving at the training college for over 20 years. My dad was six months old when they moved to Korea in the early 60s and our family mythology contains a tale of a steamship voyage that took weeks, him sleeping wrapped up in a dresser drawer, their home they made in an old sock factory, one that was sometimes overrun with with rats. My mother's parents were originally from North Dakota and Pennsylvania and also followed a call to the mission field of South America with what was then the Oriental Mission Society, OMS. My grandfather and grandmother, Wallace and Betty Rayner, taught at the Seminario Bíblico de Colombia in Medellín, which celebrated its 75th anniversary last year. My parents both grew up outside of their passport country and then, when they were young and newly married, took me and my very small brother and started their life as expats and international educators overseas. I am an alien born of aliens. An American expat born to American expats who were born to Americans who felt strongly the desire to get on a boat or to get on a plane and forsake the land of their birth for places that were foreign to them. For most of my life, I carried a very, this is a horrible picture by the way, Um, for most of my life I carried a very, very important card in my wallet called an ARC, Alien Registration Card and I have a very distinct memory of this card being cut up on my last exit interview from Korea by the immigration officers. I wept. This was a symbol, my childhood was over, and I feared I'd never be able to go home. I've lived most of my life in a third culture, not American, which is, I am an American passport holder, and not Korean, the place of residence for most of my life. I am what is called by sociologists, a third culture kid, now third culture adult. I am neither, nor, both, and. This is a liminal space in between. And probably you've felt this way about yourself at some point. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. What liminal spaces do you exist within? What ways are you uncategorizable in your race, or your language, or your gender, or your interests? Maybe you come from a family that looks a little bit different than other families. Maybe you inhabit more than one cultural background, or maybe this is your first time outside of your, living outside of your hometown. Maybe you were adopted. Maybe you grew up in the city, and now you're like, what, Wilmore? I don't know. Maybe you're just someone who has just always felt a little bit strange or uncategorizable, someone who just doesn't fit a single story, defies stereotypes or categorization. I have always been hyper aware that I was not like the people I grew up around. As a very small girl, I regularly had older Korean women come up to me in the market and grab my cheeks and squeeze them really hard and saying Yippuda, means you're so cute. I attended a Korean, Yuchiwon, Where I was the only blonde head in a sea of black hair, and the only thing I really remember during this time is having my knuckles wrapped with a ruler by the teacher and hiding behind some big foam pads, desperately wanting to get out of there while everyone else was learning how to read Hangul and repeating numbers and animals and shapes. One of the gifts of my upbringing, however, is that I've always known myself as white. As an English speaker, one among many various cultures, languages, races, and ethnicities to swirl around me in a bright, beautiful, multifaceted dance. I know that America is not the best or greatest country in the world, that English is not the best or only language. I know that this is unusual for a lot of white Americans. White Americans in general have not been taught to think of themselves as white. We tend to think of ourselves as the norm, as blank, raceless, colorless, tribeless. The gift of growing up white in an incredibly diverse space is an uprooting of any semblance of an idea that to be white is to be normal. Normal is a kaleidoscope of colors, experience, languages, and stories. I also know that I'm not Korean, and I never will be. Even if I spoke Korean fluently, which is a dream of mine, and even if I lived there for the rest of my life, I will never be Korean. I used to pray as a young child for God to make me Korean overnight but I also know that I will never be fully American. Obviously God didn't answer my prayer, okay. I will also always feel a tug to live outside of these borders, to live overseas. Most of the people I grew up, I was lucky though, because most of the people I grew up around were also a little bit freakish like me. They were also kind of freaks in their home country, similarly bizarre or weird or wonderful because of it. They were also displaced from their passport country or maybe they looked Korean but had spent significant time in the West and so they didn't really fit in fully there either. They were people who had skipped across and lived variously in many different places. We typically bonded really quickly over the things that did overlap and were curious about the things that didn't and learned a lot from each other. I wanna get us to think now about the gift of the stranger, the gift of the alien. What we can learn from the aliens in our midst is that nothing can be assumed about anyone else. We each have a story that is distinct to us and it is precious and it is God's. And the sooner we can realize that these differences are the fabric of our humanity, and that we've hurt each other with our lack of listening, our lack of action and empathy, the sooner we can lament and repent and work towards a more um, just world where we can all flourish. I think that this is hospitality, to invite and value the telling of a sacred story and the sharing of a heart. Early in my life, when I first started writing poetry, I constantly wrote about belonging, about home. My first real poem was written when I was at my most lonely. My parents had taken a sabbatical from their teaching jobs to get their master's degrees at the University of Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, the deep south. I was 12, 7th grade, first time in a public school, first time living in America. I distinctly remember writing a poem that began, I want to fly, fly back to my homeland. It was a terrible poem but it was very full of emotion and very full of feeling. Thus began my life as an artist attempting to use my art, also something that inhabits a a liminal space, to explore questions relating to belonging to home. I wrote another poem recently, and it captures some of these same feelings of displacement and yearning to understand who I am and where I come from. In Korean, there is an untranslatable word and uniquely Korean concept called han. It means a deep sadness and angst sometimes described as the ineffable sadness of being Korean, what is carried collectively in the heart of a culture that has been forged in survival, on a peninsula that for a thousand years has been the site of occupation. In the 20th century, the Japanese occupation and the Korean War and currently exists in a bifurcated um, state along the 38th parallel of the North separating the North from the South. Kim ji un calls Han a blockage, something that's tangled up and cannot be untied. So this poem is called Han, um, and there's just one little part I want to talk about, I guess. At the, um, it mentions that um, sometimes in Korea, one thing, if you want to release your Han, you hike up to the top of a mountain early in the morning and you yahoo off the top of the mountain and it releases all your angst out into the world. Um, so anyway, it mentions that at the end of the poem. When she was a girl, that's me, she dragged her doll by the hair and scorched her feet on a hot slide. She crawled in the basement with a cottonmouth snake. Even her front tooth dangled from its root. When she was a girl, North Georgia and Kentucky couldn't tether. She was flown across an ocean she'd always know in the following years by its face pressed against the bosoms of clouds. When she was a girl with cicadas in her ears, the mountains were a skirt clutched in her fingers, and under her feet, the stink of gummy ginkgo fruit. On nighttime walks, after scraping scorched rice from the bottom of a stone bowl in a city she could never own or fully know, the halogen lights of the GS-25 gave her face a deathly glow. She prayed to the patron saint of 10 coins blessed herself with plastic dippers full of mountain cold mountain water, pink lotus lanterns lined the path down back down the mountain behind her home. In every self-portrait, her eyes list up like roof tiles. With crayons, she colored her blue eyes black. The words she'd needed, she didn't know, couldn't give back. She yearned to let loose from the mountain a deep mourning yaho, release what must have been animated by the Han she'd breathed in when she was a girl. To be third culture is to be a global citizen, always homesick for somewhere or someone. As Noor Brara, who was raised in New York and New Delhi, India, as the daughter of diplomats says, a third culture kid's life exposes them to miniature realms cultivated by peers from nations far and wide whose customs, languages, and moors coalesce, birthing hybrid or third cultures that are globe-spanning, diverse, highly empathetic, and oftentimes difficult to translate outside of these environments. What this means is you become a shapeshifter, a chameleon. And what can we learn from, the, from being an alien? For a long time, I just thought it brought me heartache, the familiar sensation of always missing someone or somewhere, the truth that I could never really go back. I see now that this is actually the greatest gift that I could have ever been given, and I see it as integral to God's presence in my life. Why am I talking to you about the benefits of it now? Because I think you are like me in at least some kind of ways. And if you aren't, I think that those who aren't third culture have something to learn of the adaptive skills that someone who is always an outsider can bring to the beautiful, long, and ever-expanding table of God. Third culture kids know that nothing can be assumed about anyone else. I've said this already. We know that things aren't always as they seem. We can carpe diem and seize the day. We have a deep sense of our own ephemeral nature. A third culture kid knows what it is to feel deep sadness, sorrow that can't be explained away. The sadness and longing of missing a place that will never exist again. In Welsh, this is captured with the word hiraeth. To be third culture is to have to get comfortable with change, to be adaptive, to approach new cultures and new people with an open heartedness and a generosity, to always be positioned to learn. When you are the new one always, or the one that is obviously not from this place, you tend to, be, to give the benefit of the doubt. You ask questions instead of assuming that you know the answers. When you grow up this way, Italian director Luca Guadagnino says, there is a feeling of being lost, but to be lost is also to be open. It reminds us of our empathy and of what we share if we only try and find it. Third culture people know that we are one among many, that our individual stories matter and that our lives intersect in more ways than we can easily from the surface see. Norbrara writes that because our stories can't be gleaned from our outward appearances, accents or possessions, we all come humble to the table, open and permeable and ready to barter the surfaces of our souls. You know what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is coming humble to the table of God Humble to each new person you meet, ready to listen and accept, ready to learn, ready to see the ways that we are similar, even in our seeming difference, and then moving through life with intention, finding ways to connect, to bring together, to go deeper quickly and to form relationship. This is the cathedral, the church that God is building us into, a truly global family stretching across time and place and made up of people just like you and me. We third culture kids are in touch with loss, and trans- with transition, with feelings of displacement, but I think more than just third culture kids feel those things. For a long time, this haunted me. Where do I truly belong? Will I ever truly belong? But the truth is that these liminal spaces, the margins of society, is where Jesus made his home, where we make our home. And in this space at the edges is where we are shown our own and others' humanity. Travel writer and third culture kid Pico Ayer says, we belong everywhere and nowhere. Isn't this what it means to be a citizen of heaven? Someone who is working towards God's kingdom here on earth? I think it looks like this room, a gathering of wanderers, hearts reaching out towards each other and in that way up and out towards God. I pray that we would be able to be in touch with our own human homelessness in humility and truth to hold our lives and the places we inhabit within them with open hands, to remain curious always about the stories of others and to become adept at seeing the ways in our differences that our lives intersect and overlap. I believe we have something to learn from the aliens in this world. And I want this to be a word of encouragement for any of you who feel like you just don't fit or, like you need a new category or series of categories, all your own. You are not alone. Our otherness allows us to keep our hearts open to the great sorrows of the world, to see how God is a God who mourns with us, is with us in history and fleshed, and who knows and loves our humanity deeply. He is in the desert and on the mountain. He hems us in before and behind, Psalm 139, and he is building us together to become a dwelling place where God lives by his Spirit, Ephesians 2.22. In the suffering of our own homesickness and wandering, God is. And we can allow this to pull us deeper into God's heart, into neighbor love, so that we can experience God's fierce heart for us and for the world. And isn't our sense of ourselves as other a lens that allows us to see in our difference all of the shades and multifacetedness of a truly creative creator, a great mystery, a family, a tribe that includes all races, all hues, all various combinations of culture and experience? Praise God. A poet named Aracelis Germay that I love has a line that ends her incredible poem, The Black Maria. And so to tenderness, I add my action. Yes, let it be. May we allow the sorrows of our own life and the complexities of our own stories to keep us tender. May we allow this liminal space in our own hearts and lives to be a space where God can continue to squeeze out of us love for our neighbor and love for his world. I have come to see my third culture angst as the greatest sorrow and the greatest gift of my life. For a long time I mourned, where is my home? Then I came to see that, yes, I belong nowhere, but also, yes, I can belong anywhere. I can connect with anyone. It has made me tender and empathetic, willing to admit when I'm wrong. We have a common humanity, common ground. The man we love called Jesus stayed outside in the lonely places. Mark 1, 45. his was a life of both wilderness and wandering, an alien here on earth. His was a life of gathering up and bringing together people from all different backgrounds and people who didn't really fit. If you hear nothing else today, please hear me say, we need each other and each of our stories with each various shade of identity not easily split into binaries, especially in a time in history defined by borders and cultish nationalism. Let our stories make us tender for each other. We are made strong through our difference. This is the kingdom of God. We are one and we are many. How can our shared humanity allow for a deep recognition of the ways that our differences are valuable, precious, and always opportunities for learning, for listening, for witness, and for peace? To be one with your alien identity is to be a human, and ultimately to be a Christ follower in the world. Christ is in all and through all a great transcendent mystery. I think that the early lessons I've learned from my own existential displacement have taught me everything I know about Christ, Jesus the Christ, the one who also inhabited humanity fully as the Son of God. I have learned to see my own wandering as more than just an individual search for home, but instead a state of being in which I am constantly shown that my home is not a place or house or a specific location. My home is in relationship in people and also in spirit. This yearning we feel for belonging can be answered in a connectedness to others and therefore to Christ. Thank God that there is not just one story of what it means to be human. We are nomads, aliens, uncategorizably complex individuals who belong to each other in the family of God. Those of us who feel especially alien or uncategorizable have a gift to give the world. The gift of empathy, the gift of listening, of leaning harder into the margins that make up human life. We have so much to learn from each other, especially from those who who don't share the same boxes and categories that we do. This is the gift of the other. May Christ give us spirits of truth, hearts of acceptance, eyes to see through deeper, and ears to listen up so we can hear each of our diverse and beautiful songs.